Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm excited that you're listening this morning. Well, last week, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Justin McBrayer, philosophy professor here at Fort Lewis College, about why the atheists claim that theism hinders the good life is false. He did a great job of explaining why that accusation is baseless. Today, we're going to be getting into the second part of our interview with Dr. Justin McBrayer. So again, just to kind of give you a little bit of background about what this is all about, the atheist would often make the claim that theism hinders the good life, that believing in God isn't fun, or that believing in God prevents you from something that you could have if you didn't believe in God. And they would say some of the things that you would achieve by not believing in God would include a more altruistic morality. They would say that as a believer, you only do what you do because you're afraid of the punishment that you'll receive or you're motivated by the rewards you'll receive in the afterlife. So you don't really do anything here for the right reasons. That's absolutely a straw man argument. Any of us that have followed Christ for long, realize that our motives are very important in why we do what we do. In fact, there's an incredible emphasis on that in the Bible. The atheist doesn't understand that and kind of tries to cut down a straw man and makes an incredible accusation against the theist, and not just in that area, but in many others. They say that the theist cannot be intellectually satisfied, that the theist isn't truly free to become who they could be, that they're hindered personally by their belief in God. All these accusations are baseless. And last week, Dr. Justin McBrayer did an incredible job of approaching this subject and carefully dismantling the atheistic argument, showing why it is not the case that theism hinders the good life. He kind of left us there, though. Last week, we only had so much time with him. And this week, we're picking up with the rest of the interview, the second half of the interview. And Dr. McBrayer is going to elaborate on why theism actually leads to the good life. And he's even going to describe why we as believers can have aspects of the good life that atheism would not even be able to touch. So things like spirituality, a need that is prevalent among humans, but that atheists have no way of fulfilling. So it'll be an incredible interview. I hope that you stay around for the whole 30 minutes and get to hear what Dr. McBrayer has to say. Again, Dr. McBrayer is a philosophy professor here at Fort Lewis College, and these topics are topics that are close to him, and he loves talking about this stuff. If you're a student, I'd encourage you to take some classes with Dr. McBrayer. And if you're not a student, I would encourage you to go to the Fort Lewis website and look him up and learn a little bit more about him. That being said, let's get right into the second part of the interview from last week. Again, we're going to be talking about why theism leads to the good life and why atheism comes short of that. So here's the interview, part two, with Dr. Justin McBrayer. I hope you enjoy it a ton. So we're back in the studio this week with Dr. McBrayer. Last week we discussed the case that theism hampers the good life, and that's the case that's often made by atheists and non-theists, and particularly it's a case that was made in a presentation here at Fort Lewis last year. Justin responded to that presentation with his defense 
that theism improves the good life. Last week we talked about some of the arguments against that perspective. This week we're talking about the arguments for that perspective. So, Dr. McBrayer, it's great to have you on The God Solution again. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, this is sort of the other side of the coin. Um, you know, last week I was trying to show that the case that theism is bad for you is a really bad case. There's a burden of proof that hasn't been discharged. And there's no good reason to think that theism or religious practice is somehow bad for you. But, of course, that alone should just leave you an agnostic. You should think, okay, well, maybe theism is neither good nor bad for you. But I actually think a case can be made that theism is good for you. So again, just like Blaise Pascal wanted to suggest that you have reasons to take God seriously, even if you don't have the kind of evidence or truth that you want. What I want to suggest is that uh, our lives here on earth could be improved, not just neutral, but could be improved with religious life or theistic belief. And that might be one reason that so many people are religious and are theists. Yeah, that's right. I mean, surely there, there's only a handful of people who are convinced by the ontological argument for the existence of God. I mean, mo most people who are theists, um, my impression is that the world just seems to them at some deep level like it's governed by a God, and they just find that their lives are better when they engage in religious practice. So there are a lot of good arguments for God's existence, but just as a side note, I don't think I've ever met someone convinced by the ontological <laughs> right. argument for God's existence, <laughs> right, exactly. myself included. <laughs> Anyway, so theists and non-theists agree about a wide range of things that are good. Do you think that theism increases your chances of achieving any of those agreed-upon goods? Right. So, you know, some people think of Pascal's wager when they think of this question about whether theism makes your life better. And they say things like, oh, okay, so you think the only reason that your life is better is because you might end up in heaven. And that's how it makes your life better. But I actually think there's a case to be made that theism might advance goals that you have for your lives um, or or give you goals that even theists and non-theists agree about. So you might call them earthly goods or something like that. And I think there's a range of uh, earthly goods that uh, theism improves. And so here's a first example. I think there's something to be said for theism enriching one's intellectual life. So to give you a sense of what I mean, once upon a time, um, Richard Dawkins said something to the effect of evolution allows him to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist. So it was some piece that sort of fit the puzzle and allowed his intellectual life to be richer and deeper. I think that theism provides that same sort of thing for worldviews. So there's a lot of problems that are hard to solve that might constitute evidence for the existence of God or positing the existence of God might help you solve those puzzles. So in philosophy, puzzles about cosmology and questions about why there's something rather than nothing, questions about modality. What is it that ultimately makes things possible or ensures that some things are necessary and other things are impossible and so forth? It turns out that really bright philosophers, even if they're not theists, have written books showing where the God hypothesis might help to fill out that intellectual story. So then just like Richard Dawkins can be a more fulfilled atheist with the theory of evolution, so too can theists have a more compelling and coherent worldview um, by positing the existence of a God. Absolutely. So you touched on this, but the intellectual question we've heard from Dawkins. Last week I mentioned Provine's quote. We've heard from others how they claim to be atheists because that's how they're intellectually 
fulfilled right. and satisfied. So how might theism specifically improve one's intellectual life? Well, so, I mean, here's an example. There's a, a, a Kimball study uh, uh, that, that suggests that religious life is a very nice predictor for higher education. So your odds of going to college actually go up when you're a high schooler that attends church and, and is religious. So there's an interesting correlation between you know having a richer intellectual life and being someone who practices religion. Um, and you might be thinking, oh well, gosh, Justin, these people go off to college and you know they're just going to be seminarians or something like that. They don't take rigorous you know fields of study when they get to college. But again, that's not true. Uh, studies show that students are actually more likely to lose their religion in humanities programs. And when they study hard sciences, their religious commitments just about stay flat. Um, and when they're in social sciences and business programs, they actually increase in religious devotion. So there's no reason to think like, like you know, academically rigorous courses of study are the ones that, you know, uh, correlate with, with losing your religion. It's just not true. And that's my story. I came here as a very committed Christian and did my undergraduate degree in chemistry which is as rigorous a science as you'll find. And I felt that studying chemistry actually encouraged my view yeah. of God. I could not help but see God's fingerprints on every single thing that I studied. I'm excited to hear that study had come out, and I definitely can agree with that as it's been my experience. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. I'm so glad that you're listening. You're listening to the second part of an interview with Dr. Justin McBrayer, philosophy professor here at Fort Lewis College. He's discussing why theism leads to the good life and why atheism does not. His talk is a rebuttal to a talk that was given on this campus that kind of said the opposite of that last year. And he's doing a great job of explaining why we as theists, as people who believe in God, actually can experience the good life in ways that atheists cannot. It's a little bit of a different approach to the whole issue of apologetics, but I hope you'll stay tuned for the rest of the show and hear what Dr. McBrayer has to say. So what's the connection between theism and happiness? Are theists and those that believe in God any more happy than non-theists? Right, so when we're looking at agreed-upon goods, things that would be good to have in your life, and intellectual life is part of it, um, but almost no one thinks that having a rich intellectual life exhausts uh, the kind of goals that one would have for your life. Among other things, people want to be happy. Surely that's something that we all want. And as it turns out, here again, the religious life uh, has a positive correlation with happiness. There's a 1993 empirical study that concludes, and I'll quote, Religion can provide a new vision that transforms a life racked with doubt, contradiction, and despair into one of purpose, contentment, and joy. And uh, there are numerous surveys that seem to suggest that people's at least self-reports of happiness are positively correlated with religion. So, for example, a recent Gallup poll uh, shows that those who respond with the highest score in uh, response to their happiness claim that their their religious faith is important in their life. In fact, they're twice as likely as those with lowest scores to declare themselves very happy. So here again is a correlation between people being happy and, and um, people who are religious. In fact, another study shows that 28% of people who attend religious services about uh, once a month declare themselves very happy, 
whereas 47% of those who attend religious services weekly declare themselves very happy. Interesting statistics, to say the least. Many researchers are noting a positive correlation between theism and or religious practice and health. Can you explain those connections yes. between health and theism? If I were a non-theist, this would be the scariest one of all. Not only does it turn out that theism might boost your intellectual life, not only does it increase your odds of being happy, but it increases your odds of being healthy and avoiding death. So you, you wouldn't believe this unless you looked at it for yourself. So I'll, I'll leave you a list of these sources, and you can maybe post them on a website for, okay. re, for uh, listeners who are interested. Um, so, for example, there's a positive correlation between regular attendance and religious service and about a 25 to 33% reduction in mortality in years following such attendance. Religious people are also way less likely to commit suicide. Um, it's not just death uh, where we see a, a positive correlation. There's a correlation between religious belief and favorable health outcomes. For example, religious people have lower rates of heart attacks. They cope better with cancer. They cope better with HIV. Uh, religious people are way less likely to abuse substances. So there's an inverse relationship between religiosity and substance abuse. When it comes to psychology, we see much the same sort of thing. There's a negative correlation between religiosity and depression, anxiety. There's a positive correlation between religiosity and, and uh, being psychologically properly adjusted. And by the way, these are robust findings. These are not just one-off you know, studies being done by theists with an axe to grind. As a matter of fact, the December 2011 um, issue of the Journal of Behavioral Medicine, which is a major peer-reviewed journal, um, is devoted entirely to studying the correlation between religion and religious belief and certain health outcomes. Um, in fact, uh, one philosopher read through this issue, and he was prompted uh, to conclude that Karl Marx almost got it right. Uh, religion isn't the opiate of the masses, but it's the lipitor of the people. It's what keeps us healthy. Interesting. All right. I've heard a lot of good stuff about your presentation here on campus. I've heard students that say it was phenomenal and excellent. I even heard one student say, I don't know how anybody walked out of that presentation unconvinced. So, good job on the presentation. I've also heard there's a rumor going around that a big part of your presentation concerned the generosity of religious people. Can you say a bit about the connection between theism and religion and charity? Right. Uh, there was a book published um, a number of years ago, four or five years ago, by a sociologist who teaches at Syracuse. His name is Arthur Brooks. And he undertook a wide-ranging study to try to see whether there was a correlation between, pe between people's generous attitudes and generous actions and their worldviews. Uh, the name of the book is Who Really Cares?, and what he tried to do was track correlations between people's political beliefs and religious beliefs and how it was that they acted with regard to charities. And what he found was really, really, um, I guess, shocking to some and, and not shocking to others. But it was, it was a really important conclusion. What he found is that there's a positive correlation between being religious and being charitable. So, for example, suppose we could take all of the folks that are out there and put them into four categories. You're a religious conservative, a religious liberal, a secular conservative, or a secular liberal. What he did was track uh, giving per household by people who fell into those four quadrants 
and the results are amazing. Out of those four quadrants, who would you guess would be the most generous? So again, the four quadrants are religious conservatives, religious liberals, secular conservatives, secular liberals. Who's the most generous? I'd say religious conservatives. Religious conservatives are indeed the most generous. In fact, they give three times as much as secular liberals do, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. Now, religious liberals are, are less generous, but not in a statistically significant way. It's a couple hundred bucks or something like that. But the difference between the two quadrants on the top, the religious quadrants, and the secular quadrants is astounding. It's astounding, uh, the difference between these two. So the difference in charitable giving doesn't seem to track whether you're liberal or conservative. What it seems to track is whether you're religious or not. Religious people are just far more generous. What I should say, one of the objections to this, um, people say things like, well, this is just because religious people are conned into giving money to their church. But this is not right. Um, he shows in the book that religious giving swamps non-religious giving, even when we're talking about secular causes, things like uh, the United Way. Uh, and it also translates into non-monetary giving. It's not just that religious people give away more of their wealth or income. It's that they give away more of everything. Religious people are more likely to volunteer. They're more likely to donate blood. Um, they're more likely to be involved in their communities. Religious people are more likely to give up a seat on a bus, help a homeless person, or offer a stranger directions. So there's this deep connection between being charitable and generous and being religious that is just hard to ignore. So would it be fair to say that other things being equal, theists live more moral lives than non-theists? I don't know is the short answer. But I sure would like somebody to study this. Because at least when we look at generosity, there seems to be a clear predictor, right? That religion uh, is a predictor of one's generosity or charity or whatever. How it relates to other aspects of our moral lives is a fascinating question I'd like to know more about. One thing we know, I don't know if we know it, but there are some studies that suggest one thing for sure, that the study of secular ethics all by itself doesn't seem to make a difference. So there's a philosopher who teaches at the University of California, Riverside, and he's done some really interesting studies. Um, and among some of his findings are the following. Uh, professional ethicists, so people who study you know, secular ethics at the, at the university level, are no more likely to be courteous, vote, or respond to student emails than their other philosophical counterparts. Ethicists are no less likely to be free riders, like not pay into a system that they're benefiting from. And worse, he found that ethicists are more likely to steal books from the library than their non-ethicist counterparts. So <laughs> this is far from conclusive, but it's at least some data that just sort of studying secular ethics all by itself isn't enough to make you a good person. And I've mentioned on this show before how the Oxford ethicists a year or two ago came to a conclusion that post-birth abortion should be permitted. And they even said that if you were not okay with people killing their babies after birth, you were against the tenets of a liberal society, against the freedoms of liberal society. So I would agree that these ethicists were getting pretty far down a road that most of us would quickly agree is not where we want to go as a society. But it is interesting for sure, to see that secular ethicists are no better than other people in their 
departments. Yeah, I yeah. Again, maybe that's not conclusive data, but it sure is interesting when we're wondering what could we do to improve our moral lives. Uh, that's at least some data that suggests merely studying secular ethics isn't isn't going to do the trick, right? <laughs> okay, so theism might help us get goods that both theists and non-theists agree exist. What about other goods? Are there goods that are uniquely theistic that wouldn't exist if theism were false? I think the short answer is there well might be. Um, and this is sort of Blaise Pascal's big push that, right, there might be these afterlife goods that theists will get that non-theists won't. So what I've tried to do, you know, in my talk was focus on goods that we all agree on. I sort of feel like we get more traction when we can say, look, you want to be happy, right? You want to be generous. You want to be a good person. You want to, well, look, theism helps you get all these things. But the fact of the matter is there really might be some goods out there that um, theists and non-theists disagree about whether they exist, but which theists are uniquely positioned to get. So, for example, at least in the history of the West, um, many philosophers have conceived of our greatest good as being some kind of union with God. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas calls it the beatific vision and that sort of thing. If there's a God... And if relationships are important to our overall well-being and to the goals we have for our life, then it seems plausible that theists are in a better position to capitalize on that good than non-theists are. And so here's a case where sort of the theist might be in a position to switch the scales. It's not the theist who's masking reality. It's the non-theist who isn't aware of what might be our greatest good, being in a relationship with this particular being, uh, God, our creator. So that's one example of a kind of good that non-theists and theists don't agree on. You know, non-theists would deny that it's out there. But if theism turns out to be true, there's a really powerful good that theists seem to be in a better position to capitalize on. Absolutely. Relationship with God in this life and an eternal life after this life. Great potential goods of theism is true. So given all this, what advice do you have for listeners who are interested in the connection between theism and a good life? I would encourage them to explore it more. So too many people sort of pawn religion off with, um, you know, what in logic class we would call a straw man. They think of the most obnoxious theist they could imagine, the person who's picketing funerals of soldiers because America has... I mean, they, they, they think of these sort of cartoon sketches of theism. So my encouragement to listeners is that uh, there are a lot of options out there. Theism has been the dominant worldview in the West for thousands of years, most of the really bright people that we hold up as models for the good life are people who have been theists. Um, people like John Locke and Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. So there's no reason to think that theism all by itself hampers the good life. There's at least some reason, as I've tried to point out, um, that, that theism in religious life might enhance your life, and it's worth a second look. And that's what this show is all about, encouraging you to take a deeper look at the evidence. Dr. McRae, again, how can people find out more about you? They can go to the Philosophy Department website. If you just Google Justin McBrayer, uh, you'll find my homepage where we have uh, the Philosophy Department has a, a series of papers and talks and things that you can look at. Or I'd encourage you to check out our Philosophy Club series here on campus. We have a lot of exciting talks that are aimed at a general audience. So if you have an interest in these things, come find us. Thanks so much for being on the God Solution Show today. I will try to get you back on at a different time. Thanks again. My pleasure. So believing in God really is fundamental to the good life. Last week, I mentioned how Jesus promised us the abundant life. He promised a life 
that would surpass circumstances, that would surpass whatever we're going through, that would be lived with meaning and significance and purpose. I'm not saying that everyone who believes in God is going to be a millionaire. Some might say such crazy things. I'm not going to make that claim. I think history and the Bible itself are clear that that's not the case. But no matter what we're going through, take, for example, the story of Job found in the Old Testament book of Job. Even when we go through terrible trials, we can have a peace and a confidence and a security that only comes from an intimate relationship with God. Jesus was within his rights to offer you an abundant life. And he proved by conquering death and by offering life that only he could offer such an abundant life. I hope that you'll take him up on his offer. In fact, the Bible tells you that if you'll believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and the evidence is clear that he really did rise from the dead, and that if you'll confess with your mouth that he is Lord, obviously that occurs after you are convinced in your heart that you need him as Lord and Savior. The Bible says if you do those two things, you will be saved. What I want to ask you today is to come to Jesus and to say, Jesus, I desperately need you. I know that my life without you is not where it needs to be. And I know that I have no hope of a future or an eternity without you. So Jesus, I ask you to come into my life today to make me the kind of person that you want me to be, to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. And the Bible says if you take that step, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, that you'll be adopted into his family, that you'll be given an abundant life here on this planet, the good life that Dr. McBrayer discussed on the show today, and that you'll be guaranteed an eternity with him in heaven, not because of your good works, but simply because you placed your faith in him. I hope you'll take that step today if you haven't already. And if you have, I pray that you would be bold in sharing the hope that you have with those around you. I want to invite you to connect this week. We're going to be meeting on Tuesday at Noble Hall, room 125 at 6 p.m. Again, that's Tuesday, Noble Hall, 125 at 6 p.m. Come at 5.30 if you want to hang out and eat some pizza before the meeting gets started. But if you've never been to Connect, Connect is just a great time of fellowship. It is a group of believers that love Jesus and who will accept you no matter where you're coming from and who will help you take the next step in your spiritual journey wherever you're coming from. I hope that you'll join us on Tuesday at 6 p.m. in Noble 125 to Find out a little bit more about what Connect is all about. I would also like to invite you to a local church this morning. There are so many good churches in this town that I couldn't possibly describe all of them today on the show. So I'm going to ask you to go to GodSolutionShow.com. That's GodSolutionShow.com. You'll find a list of churches when you go there, and I'll include on that list their addresses and meeting times so that you'll be able to find a church this morning and give it a shot. All the churches there are churches that I personally can vouch for, and I'm sure that when you visit those churches, you'll have an incredible time of growing closer to God, no matter where you're coming from. Well, it's been a great show. I've had a blast having Dr. Justin McBrayer on the show the last couple weeks. Again, you can get all these shows at GodSolutionShow.com including all of our previous interviews with so many other people. 
I also would like to know what you think about the show. So when you go to GodSolutionShow.com, please feel free to leave any comments or suggestions that you might have, even if they're critical of the show. I'd love to hear what you think. And if you have any critical thoughts about the show and you want to discuss those on the air, let me know. If you have any questions that you'd like me to address on the show, let me know. Go to GodSolutionShow.com and leave a comment telling me what you think about the show and if there's anything else that you'd like us to discuss on the show. Well, like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And I firmly believe that. Dr. McBrayer talked about how the atheist will often hold suspicion towards the theist thinking they can't really believe that. They must be being dishonest. Well, I can tell you with every fiber in my being that I am confident and convinced that there is only one way, that there is only one truth, and that there is only one life, and that is Jesus Christ. And I am convinced that an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to him. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. I got stronger, got you.